Well, my friends, we come to the end of our series of Sunday evening talks that we've been calling Only a Prayer Meeting. And if you've been here for some or all of those, I hope that it's been a blessing to you as we have considered why prayer meetings are so important to the life of our church. There are some places, sometimes, our time being one of them, when prayer has not been cherished by the local church. You know, it, it was, and, and we'll think about this perhaps even more in the days and weeks to come, it, it was one of the things that the reformers really sought to reclaim uh, in bringing renewal to the church uh, because of Roman Catholicism and the pressure of uh, the priesthood and the pope and the leadership and how they were the ones who spoke for God and they were the ones who spoke to God. Therefore, you had to go and you had to confess your sins to them so that they could then take them to God for you. There was during those days a real lack of personal prayer and, as you can imagine, corporate prayer. But one of the marks of the Reformation that we seek to continue to our own day is the place of prayer in the life of the individual Christian, but in the life of the church. And so several weeks ago, over a month ago, we started this conversation about why prayer is so important and why viewing this as only a measly little prayer meeting is the wrong view to take. That corporate prayer is something that is good and right and healthy for a local church. That as a church prays, so a church may go. And so over the last few weeks, then we've looked at the different pieces of prayer that we can take up, specifically that we take up here on Sunday nights, but that you can take up individually. And we've made an argument of why things like praise are so important in the life of the church, because they get our hearts right. Not only are we glorifying God and exalting Him for who He is, but it also helps us to, to put, our place, put ourselves in a right place, acknowledging who God is. It kind of creates a correction for every prayer that comes after that. And then so we talked about confession and how in our confession, even corporately, we are laying ourselves as a corporate body before the Lord, opening ourselves up to His correction and finally to His renewal as we see it in the redemption of Jesus Christ. We talked then from there about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I mentioned it just a moment ago, but what does it look like to have our eyes up and acknowledging that God is not just at work in our lives, I hope you notice that, but that He is at work in the people around us. That when we thank God for how He's at work in the world around us, it keeps us from being selfish and self-focused. And then tonight, we're going to talk about the final aspect of prayer, at least the one that we take up here. Now, there are other forms of prayer that you could consider that, that maybe we'll consider someday down the road. Maybe we'll think about the imprecatory prayers of the Psalms or, or the laments that we find in the Bible. But tonight we're going to close these series of talks on only a prayer meeting with talking about prayers of petition. And what are petitions anyway? The other word that we use from time to time, supplication. What does this mean? What do these words mean? They're not necessarily words that, you know, we're throwing out, you know, uh, when we were out and about talking about how we need supplication. But simply it means prayers of appeal, of, of request, of making our needs known. And just 
in case you didn't already realize, we're, we're making our needs known, not just to each other and praying out loud, but making our needs finally to God, making them known to Him. And this, this, is a, this is a right and a good prayer to take up, but you may have pushbacks in your heart. At least sometimes I do, to prayers of supplication. When we pray these kind of prayers, you may think, well, aren't these kind of requests just selfish? Like you're just, just praying for the things you want or, or just the things you think about or care about? Or, or maybe we're careless in it and, and we just kind of pray not even really thinking about what, what we're thinking or, or what we're saying. Sometimes our prayers of petition may be worldly. I don't know if any of you have ever prayed worldly prayers where you're asking God, well, God, if you'll just do this for me, I'll follow you forever and ever. And I'll read my Bible every day for an hour and a half. If you'll just give me this thing. Sometimes even our prayers of petition could be small. We could think, well, just this particular situation I need God to work. Everything else, just ignore that. Just this one thing. So, a question we can ask ourselves, a couple questions we can ask ourselves, I'm going to seek to answer for us in our time left tonight is, does the Bible actually contain prayers of request, supplication, petition? And how do they, if it does, how do they shape our prayers? Does the Bible contain prayers of appeal? And how do they shape ours? And then I'll close out with some practical considerations. Wrap it up with a nice bow of two Charles Spurgeon quotes since that's how we began. So that's where we're going the next several minutes. Number one, does the Bible have prayers of supplication? Well, if you have a Bible, let me have you go ahead and turn to Psalm 4. That's the psalm that we sang tonight. And we're going to look at just four psalms. And the four psalms we're going to look at, or four, four verses from four psalms. And they're going to be Psalm 4, Psalm 5, Psalm 6, and Psalm 7. Now, I'm going to do this on purpose because I want you to see just how much, specifically the book of Psalms, but the entire Bible is full of prayers, of requests. So let's just start with Psalm 4.1. Psalm 4.1. Notice what the psalmist says. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And two things to notice just from this first verse. Number one, it's asking God to respond to requests and appeals. Answer me when I call. You could say that the prayers of petition we pray are prayers of call. We're calling on the Lord. We're asking Him to answer us. The second thing you notice is that these prayers of request are based on who God is and what He has done. We see that in just that one verse right there. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. That He is a God who gives Righteousness. This is who he is. And what has he done? You have given me relief when I was in distress. All right, jump to Psalm 5 then. Psalm 5, 8. 5, 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Two things to notice here is that he's asking fully to be led in the righteousness of God as a final end. His goal, his purpose, his pursuit is righteousness. And he's asking for God's work in his life. This is a prayer of petition. The other thing we see here is that circumstances sometimes do give us a reason and a place for supplication. So what I mean by that is 
When things are going poorly for us, when things are difficult or hard and we feel like our life is surrounded by enemies, that's a good time to pray prayers of supplication. Go to Psalm 6, verse 4. 6, 4. Turn. Just to put it kind of frankly here, that's a command in some sense. Now, we know a command to God is a request, right? We're not, we're not going to tell God what to do. But this is stated in, a, in, a, in an actual kind of straight in your face way. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. We see here that our understanding of God is that he is a God who turns to us. This gives us reason to pray prayers of supplication, doesn't it? That we have a God who turns to us. And unless God turns to us, says there in 6.4, there's no deliverance. Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. If he turns to us, there is deliverance. If there's no turning, there's no delivering. The other thing I want you to see here is the purpose. That the sake of God's working is founded in his steadfast love. That's a word we use a lot for for the sake of, for the the reason to uphold, the thing that would be shown, that God would deliver us. We ask, we pray, and we request and make supplications so that God's steadfast love and goodness to his people would be displayed. All right, Psalm 7, 1. This will be the last one we looked at here in the Old Testament, at least read through. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. So he's stating some facts here. And then here's the supplication. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. What do we see here? Number one, it's not wrong to ask for deliverance. Some of us have, have grown up in churches or we've gotten our theology in our minds that it's, it's wrong when we're going through trials and hardships to ask God for deliverance from them. We think, oh, the Lord must have sovereignly brought this into my life so that I would bear up under it. And that's right, but therefore I should not ask for deliverance. But we see here the psalmist over and over and over again is asking God to deliver him. But the big thing I want you to see here, and it's been in all of them so far, but we skipped over it, is this. The use of Yahweh's covenant name. Oh, Yahweh, my God. Oh, Yahweh, oh, my God. We see here that our request are based on a relationship. That the reason we can pray these prayers of supplication is because we have a relationship with God. Now, I don't know, any of you kids are like this, but if you need something, who are you most likely to ask for help? If you need something, who do you ask for help? Anybody? Anybody? I'm hoping it's your mom and dad, (laughs) right? When you need anything, right? In the middle of the night, when you wake up and your mouth is dry and you need a drink of water, who do you call out for? Dad, I need some water. That's what I get. This is exactly what prayers of supplication are. This is what we see is that our requests to God are based on our relationship with him. That because he is our covenant God, we can call on him when we need that drink of water. We see other examples of this in the Old Testament. If you want to write these references down, you can go back and look at them this week. 1 Kings 8.45. Jeremiah 
36, 7. Daniel 9, 23. Zechariah 12, 10. But what of the New Testament? What of the New Testament do we see? Well, just consider a few that we find throughout. The first one, the most well-known prayer, is the Lord's Prayer. Where Jesus teaches us how to pray. It is a model prayer for His disciples. And what does He say there in 611? Give us today our daily bread. Now, Jesus wasn't just a, a giant lover of bread. Like, that's not... There, there's a deeper spiritual truth here, right? He's not just a, a, an artisan bread eater. and He just cares a lot about it. He loves his bagels. He loves his rolls. He, no, there's more to it here. It is this, that, this reality that God provides our daily needs. And so we ask him for them, right? You consider the parable of the persistent widow over in Luke 18, 1 through 8. And Jesus says, this is how we ought to go to the Father, like that persistent widow who kept coming to this unjust judge. And how much more should we come to our just Father, persistently calling out and crying out for His help and deliverance? You think about James, the brother of Jesus, writing his letter, and many claim the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. What does he say there about prayer in James 4.2? We're going to look at 4.3 in a minute. But 4.2, he says, we do not have... Because we do not ask. I don't know how many of you, certainly say it's true of myself this week, complained about something you don't have. Something you need, something you're lacking, something you wish that you were more of yourself personally. Well, James tells us the problem. It's not that we don't complain enough. It's that we don't ask. Now, we'll talk about more about that asking here in a minute. But consider Ephesians 6.18. After... I think T.J. mentioned it even in his prayer. After, after Paul gives this list of the armor of God, he closes by telling the people to remain alert. Pray in the Spirit. Now there's some discussion. We can talk about this another time, what praying in the Spirit is. But he closes that section by saying, making supplications, requests, appeals for all. There's a corporate nature to it. And then finally, Philippians Four, six, and seven. It's a passage that's meant, that is familiar to many of you, especially those of you who struggle with anxious hearts. But let me flip over there and read it for us because there's a word in there we miss sometimes. Sorry, Philippians four, six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What Paul is saying here is that the answer to anxiety is to ask God to work. To supply everything that you need. And so this is just a, a short list of, of prayers of supplication in the New Testament. We, we read one earlier as well from, from Colossians 1, 9-14. But how do these prayers then, hopefully that's convincing enough for you that there are prayers of requests of the Bible. How does it shape our prayers? Because I don't know about you, but growing up in church, these are the kind of prayers that most common find themselves at church prayer meetings, right? It's prayer requests, right? I, I was recently, well, that's been a few years ago, I was preaching at a church and at the beginning of the service, 
one of the deacons stood up and asked at the beginning of the church service, does anybody have prayer requests? And they stood there for like 10 or 15 minutes, people calling out prayer requests, and then he prayed over them. This is what normally takes place. And so in churches, it's prayers of request. So how then does, should the Bible actually shape how we pray prayers of supplication? Should it? Well, it should. How? Well, three things then. Three short things I want to mention, then we'll get to some practical considerations. Number one, prayers are Godward in direction. I know that may go without saying, but I want to press that in a little bit more. Prayers are Godward in direction and goal, right? So, so this, is, this, is, this is what Jesus himself prays in the garden. My will, not my will, but yours be done. The, the prayers are toward God and, and the goal of exalting God and glorifying God. We are praying towards God, not just in actuality, but, but in purpose and reason and pursuit. Number two, prayers are meant for seeking the kingdom. Right? So, so going back to James now, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask for yourselves. James is getting this idea that oftentimes our prayers of request can be shaped by our own desires, that we want to spend our prayers on ourselves, right? Number three, then, prayers are gospel-based appeals, trusting Jesus to give. Trusting Jesus to give. It's a passage that we quote often from Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive. You receive what you ask for, right? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. That the reason that we can pray prayers of request is because we have a relationship and that relationship has been made by Jesus Christ himself in paying our penalty on the cross and reconciling us to God. And so this then gets at what we find in Romans 5, 8, which is a passage that is really helpful in understanding why we should pray prayers of request. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is why we can go to God. Because he has sent Christ for us. And he goes on to say, How will he who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us all things? So, some practical applications then. Individual supplications. Let me give you a couple denials and then a couple, or a few denials and then affirmations, okay? You guys ever read denials and affirmations? Sometimes in like creeds and, and statements, those are helpful. Okay, denial number one. We don't just pray for stuff that we want. Affirmation number one. We do pray for God's will and for his moving, okay? So not just to spend them on ourselves, but for God's will to be done. Denial number two. We don't demand God's submission to us or no worship. God, if you don't do this, then, then I'm not going to worship you. We don't demand that. Instead, we ask God to move and to mold our hearts and minds to his will. We submit to him. Denial number three. We don't measure our salvation by how many yes prayers we get. Instead, affirmation, we measure our salvation in Jesus and trust his work. And trust that God answers our prayers in different ways. And sometimes a no answer is just as much God's grace as a yes answer. If you don't believe me, go listen to Garth Brooks 
unanswered prayers tonight. It's a great song. Had to go there. Had to go there. How long has it been since I made a classic country reference? All right, for some of y'all, that ain't classic country. That's still your today's country. All right. All right, some, some, some corporate supplications. Why do we do corporate supplications the way that we do? Have you ever noticed this? That in your prayer guide, in the middle, you open it up, and what do you find? Just a little bit for adoration, a little bit for confession, a little bit for thanksgiving, and then boom, you're hit with a list and supplications. Why do we do it that way? Well, let me tell you why we have these elder-led prayers and prayers of supplication in particular. Number one, here are five things. You don't have to write these down. I, I can screenshot this to you later. Number one, it keeps us focused on our life together. So these elder-led prayers and prayer supplication, we're aiming to keep them focused on our life together. We focus on different demographics, different life seasons. Number two, it keeps us focused on our biblical mission as a church. So what the Bible calls us to, we put in those prayers. Number three, it keeps us focused on our corporate needs, not just our individual needs, but our our corporate needs, which oftentimes bleeds over into individual needs like sickness and distress. Number four, it keeps us focused on our partnerships and engagements. It reminds us to pray for those that we are doing church life with, other churches and ministries. And number five, it keeps us focused on our task to take the gospel to the nations. Now, really quick, I'll just point this out. The way that we think through this is really through nine different categories. And you can see those categories highlighted in your prayer sheet or even, have you looked at this lately? The back of your bulletin. Now, this week there's 11 things so, or 10 things because one of, the, one of the things I've started doing, you'll notice there on number two, two is I've started asking you guys to pray through the membership role and change the, uh, the last names each week, the, the letters for, for each last name. But let me give you the nine categories that, that I just think about as a pastor, when I'm praying our pastoral prayer on Sunday morning, and I know the other guys too as well. Number one, word-centered ministry. Number two, groups of people. Number three, groups of people. Number four, other churches. Number five, gospel ministries. Number six, conversions. Number seven, the culture around us. Number eight, our authorities. And number nine, the nations. So those are nine things that I think about every time I pray. This morning, in my bulletin, I literally wrote down... Well, I wrote down one through eight and then wrote words next to each of them so that I would know these are the things I want to pray for. That's what we try to do in our prayers on Sunday evenings. So is prayer important for the life of the church? Those are prayers of supplication and request. Is prayer then important for the church? Let me close with two quotes from Spurgeon. Oh, yes. The prayer meeting is the place to meet with the Holy Ghost. And this is the way to get his mighty power. If we would have him, we must meet in greater numbers. We must pray with greater fervency. We must watch with greater expectancy and believe with firmer steadfastness. The prayer meeting is the appointed place for the reception of power. And then here's the second then. The condition of the church may be accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer? And from it may we judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. And so, friends, I'll close by asking you this. Do you want to see God move in our church and in the world around us in these days? If the answer is yes, then the response is to pray.
Let me pray for us. And then David and Grayson will come and close us. God, we do pray. We pray and ask that you would make us prayers. We pray and we ask that you would grow the ministry of prayer in this church. That God, we would see these pews filled with people who are crying out to you in prayer. God, do this work that only you can. Enliven our hearts to desire to come and speak to you. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.